Welcome to Sex Ed in the City with Drew and Dr. G. About health and sex education in today's modern classroom. Get an inside peek into the world of sex education and real life stories from teachers. Hosted by experienced educators Drew and Dr. G, each episode brings you an open and honest discussion about a range of topics related to health and sex education. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back, everyone, to Sex Ed in the City. We're so excited to be here. Hi, Drew. Hey, how's it going, Dr. G? It's going good. I'm finally over being sick, so that's good. Um, But we are super excited for our guest today. So, Drew, why don't you introduce our uh, our guest? Absolute pleasure. All right, everybody. So today we have Tanya M. Bass, PhD, so Dr. Bass to y'all. Tanya Bass is a national award-winning sexuality educator and a subject matter expert in the areas of health equity and sexual health. She's an alumna of North Carolina Central University's Department of Public Health Education and the Center of Human Sexuality Studies at Widener University. Dr. Bass is the founder of the NC Sexual Health Conference and the lead instructor for human sexuality at NCCU. She's also one of our dearest, coolest friends. So we're super stoked to have her. Tanya, how's it going? Dr. Bass. Hey, hey, y'all. Hey, it's going so good. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so proud of all that y'all are doing and contributing to our world. Thank you. Oh, thanks. We love everything that you do. Wow. Dr. Bass is one of the most well-known sex educators, I think, of our generation. So shout out to her and all her awards and everything that she does. For this ex ed world um yeah i was so i feel so uh privileged to have you in my life and i'm so glad we became friends in school so um we are so excited to have you here um so we usually start off with a question of the day just for fun and for our listeners to get to know our guests so today's question of the day in honor of the Southern sexologist being here with us, we would like to talk about what is your favorite Southern style food to eat? Ooh, that is interesting. Cause you know, Southern. Okay, like for real, for real, what makes me happy is this time of the year, especially makes me think about my grandmother and she used to have a garden and most kids well i don't say most some kids you know it's also kind of stereotypical they're like oh you don't eat your vegetables right like who eats vegetables my grandma had a vegetable garden so my favorite southern food is like just southern made like country fresh corn so she used mm. to, and in all the ways, like, you know how um, Forrest Gump had, like, the whole shrimp situation? You There's a corn situation in, in, my, in my family. <laughs> so, like, when we have fresh corn, we have corn stewed, corn fried, corn boiled on the carb, and corn fritters. So, like, I know how to shell corn. I know how to mm. cream it off. And we did cream corn, too. Cream it off of the cob so I know how to fry it up. I haven't perfected the corn fritter because only one person in the family still has that recipe. And then fried corn, if you've never had fried corn, woo! You get it for breakfast, lunch, dinner, by itself as a side. So kind of like the Southern cuisine of like how to, all the ways to have corn, fried okra, and cucumber salad. Is that a style? Mm. I don't know if I answered the question, but those are my Yeah, styles. 
It's like a I'm thousand hungry. percent. I'm I've hungry never now. Had fried corn. Ooh, and it has to, to be the best way is to fry is fried fresh corn or the corn that's like not the yellow can looking corn. It has mm. to be kernel like off straight off the cob corn. Oh, yeah. okay. We'll put that on my list of things to try. Drew, what's oh, yours? It's best yes. with bacon grease, but you know. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, anything with bacon in it is like, come on. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my God. That makes me so hungry. <laughs> it's lunchtime <laughs> here. My favorite, I don't know if this counts because I don't technically know if it's a Southern dish, but my grandma was from Louisville, Kentucky. Who is Southern? Uh, okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> she, she used to make chicken and waffles for us uh, or chicken and biscuits, chicken and gravy, whatever it was called. And it was just so tasty I don't know I never got the recipe I think my sister has it and I also went vegetarian for like six years so I couldn't eat it the last couple years she was alive but oh my god it was so good you just sop up the chicken and the gravy it was the just fact so that you said sop lets it know that it's southern okay <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're eating <laughs> we're eating it in pennsylvania so i was like is this like a pennsylvania dutch kind of thing i don't know but we'll give it the southern route oh my god yeah Mwah. oh my gosh i love chicken waffles but only from certain places so i used to live in la and there's roscoe's chicken and waffles and to this day i have not had a better because they put malt in their waffles so it has this flavor and then the way they do their chicken, it's just like we used to go there ooh, and you'd have chicken and waffles with the Arnold Palmer. It's like the best. So good. Oh, yum. My uh, my dad's parents are from the South and my grandma would cook all kinds of things, but not things that I like to eat. You know, she would make like hog head cheese. Oh, that's that's nasty. Like it's. Yeah, they're like she would they're make southern and then there's country. Yeah. <laughs> it's mm -mm. Like that's a rule. Like I'm yeah. not eating hoghead cheese. I'm not eating We called it souse. Oh, did you? Mm, fancy, yeah. Fancy. Well. Sous. Yeah, the things my grandmother made, <laughs> like chitlins. I don't like chitlins either. I know that's I know it's a debate, but it's the smell. I don't like it. If it's if you call it tripe, if you call it chitlins, whatever it is, you don't like it's it. not for me. <laughs> But I do like uh, a liver and onions, like fried up. I love. I can't it. think about what it is, but that right there, liver and onions, is good. It um, is, and it's good for you too. But yeah, my mom used to fry the liver onions with the gizzard. As well. <laughs> I've never tried this. Maybe that's something I need to give a go. Do it. I now you're not a vegetarian you anymore. You gotta have the right taste because a lot of people think it's yeah. taste bitter. But if it's made right and seasoned yeah. well, yum. Yeah, it's so good. But I don't have yeah, to make so, it. So. Yeah. Maybe you got to get someone to do that for you. Yeah. Don't try that <laughs> at home. Don't try that at home. Don't try this at home. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Dr. Bass, we were classmates in our first ever class together at grad school, correct? At Widener? Yes, we were. We were besties from day one. I loved it. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk a little bit to our viewers about um, just your journey to getting to where you are today? So maybe like schooling, undergraduate, like jobs, things like that, or anything you find applicable? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to do a shout out to my mom. Uh, her birthday was last week, 81. 
Yay, oh. she's lovely. But she was a she was going to school to be a nurse when she got pregnant with me. And she never said, ooh, I stopped going to nursing school because I got pregnant with Tanya. Like, there was never any guilt. But somehow I think I might unconsciously have picked that up. And so I went to school, was studying nursing, was not liking it, um, was not taking the classes according to schedule because also it was college. And by sophomore year, I was partying down. So anyway, I ended up changing my major to public health instead and fell in love with it. First job out of school that was public health related, which ages me, but was the STD hotline where people would call in. It was the CDC hotline was actually based in North Carolina in Durham, right from my school, down from my school. And I got all this training as a communication specialist, just answering the phone, people all over the US asking questions about STDs. And people, I felt like girl six, but like oh in a profession way. Oh my gosh, um, you have to tell us some of the wild uh, questions oh, that you got. It really wasn't the questions, it was the masturbators. But I also now kind of appreciate <laughs> them now that I'm doing the work in a different way. But they were called and they would be like, well, what's the thing that the discharge comes out of? And you'd be like, your penis. Oh, well, what do they call it? What do some people call it? So they wanted you to either say penis or dick or something like some word. So oh, they want you to keep saying it and, keep, and the longer they kept you on the phone and then you could literally hear them like masturbating. Oh, that's a And fun then they time. would hang up. And then, so we got those and not fun, but disheartening. And mm. I hope she's not listening, but also hope she is for your listening ship. But um, <laughs> there was a lady that worked there from Boston and I hate it when she got a call about HPV because she said, what? And she said, she would be like, Oh, the only way you could get Watts, you get Watts this way, and you get Watts. And I'm like, it's Warts. It's Warts. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, I mean, it was a really good service, pre-internet, right? So people could call in and do that. Fast forward, started working HIV prevention, became my passion, working with colleges, universities, um, persons navigating their diagnosis. And that's when I think the bug around lesson planning and becoming an educator collective curriculum writer, because I had to help write a curriculum for peer educator navigators who worked in our infectious disease clinic to help them become trained on how to support newly diagnosed folks and mm -hmm. going deeper than just medical stuff, but understanding like your sex life doesn't end because you have an HIV diagnosis. And what does it mean to be a sexual being? And, you know, I didn't get that from my prevention work because it was always like use condoms get tested limit your partners like use lube that kind of thing and it was more so in this work that i tapped into like understanding your five senses and what it means in vulnerability to even disclose your status and that mm -hmm. some people might not and so i continued my career trajectory and i started working um at the state in north carolina for the department of education right when our helpful living standards kind of changed with the Healthy Youth Act so that we could be more comprehensive. Although I still don't think it's comprehensive, but that, you know, that's a debate um, here in the state and what, and also in the world, like what is comprehensive sex? Yeah. Um, so then I went to the National Sex Ed Conference and I was like, wait, there's a program that I can get an actual, cause I've been playing around with the idea of getting my doctorate degree. Every three years, I would be like, man, I missed the opportunity to apply for a job since I didn't start school. 
And so I was like, I'm going to do this. I already have two degrees in um, health education, health promotion. Let's just get this PhD and, and do it in education and uh, under human sexuality. So that's how I ended up at Widener. And it's been up from there. Like, I really just feel like all the stuff that I learned in my career and in my other schooling helped propel some of the things I was doing by learning at Widener. So, like, when I met you, Drew, I was kind of like, oh, we're doing kind of, like, we've had similar work paths. And then, when I, and same thing with, like, Rachel, because I remember we kind of connected on theory because mm-hmm. <laughs> we took our theory mm-hmm. class together. And I was like, I love the health belief model. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> we were such public health nerds in that class. So, yeah, that's how it all kind of, like, I mean, I probably skipped a bunch of jobs in between because, that that's one thing about me is like I try to grow and move up and make space for other people. Like mm-hmm. I, I I know some people they're like I'm gonna stay here in this job until I retire, and I'm like no, let's make space for new ideas, new people, mm-hmm. and you know try to make a difference. So there are a lot of jobs in between there, Drew, but that's the that's the Cliff Notes version. I love that. When did you start? teaching you teach at your alma mater correct yeah how did that come about in this journey so I got my first master's in 03 now listen I love my alma mater I am very incestuously involved with them because I have both my degrees from that school and although uh when I finished undergrad I was like I'm never coming back to these four walls (laughs) I hate it here I'm glad I made it out because it was hard like you know about hazing. I feel like we got public health haze. Like we, wow. I earned that degree. I mean, and I don't mean that in like an abusive, mm, physical yeah. abusive way, but mentally it was a lot. It was a mm-hmm. lot, but I, I feel better for it. But um, I always wanted to go back and teach once I got over the harm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in 03, while I was finishing my degree, um, one of my colleagues was like, hey, enrollment is up. We need some folks to teach part-time our um, personal health and wellness class, which was one of my favorite classes um, mm-hmm. before I even was a public health major. And I was like, uh, absolutely, yes. And so I started teaching the fall of 03, right after I graduated. By the next fall, I had applied for a job as the first ever um a health educator in student health mm. and on campus. And even though we had a public health department, public health education department, we our campus didn't have a health educator for the mm. campus. So I became that and then I still kept teaching and I started teaching a few more classes and doing programming. And then how I inherited this beautiful human sexuality course that I'm gonna hold on to dear life is my uh, colleague and former teacher, Mildred Page, was like 82 maybe 83 when she was like you know what i'm done teaching <laughs> and so they were like well you could teach this class or nothing and i was like whoa what an ultimatum so i was like ah hello i'm gonna teach this class so she gave me all her stuff and then i started teaching human sexuality i think it was tw- i think it was the fall of 2014. Mm. so it was right before oh it might have been 15. i forget the whitener situation but it was like mm-hmm. all of it happened at one time and i was like who i get to talk about what I'm learning um, as well in this class. So that's how I ended up at uh, NCCU was my colleague and friend who had worked in the HIV prevention program became um, a lead coordinator for the course at NCCU. And I said, yes, 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Shout out to that woman who taught until she was in her 80s. <laughs> the one you took the class for? I was like, yes. oh, 80? Everybody remembers that. that <laughs> well, it's still the only human sexuality course that we have on campus. And everybody loved her. She was heavy on tests. I'm not too heavy on tests because I don't like grading them. And I don't like taking them. So I'm trying not to be that instructor. Mm -hmm. But people loved her course. And I really felt proud that she kind of gave it to me. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a, I at least find it so interesting how people's careers kind of jigsaw around and where things actually end up. It's almost like you know, we have the choice, but like what our path is meant to be, we get there somehow, somehow. you know, even if we go all the way around it, eventually our choices end up into where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. So what, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I mean, we know, but like tell our <laughs> listeners kind of like some of the stuff you're involved in now, cause you do so much. Yeah. So like so much. I, I, so I mentioned going to the National Sex Ed Conference. That's what kind of made me want to pursue my doctorate degree. And I have been to so many conferences, y'all. Like all the work that I've done has either been like HIV prevention related conference or pregnancy, teen pregnancy prevention or intimate partner violence or like, you know, just all the siloed kind of ways. And so when I went to National Sex Ed, I was like, this is cool and, and built a relationship with Bill Tavern. I was like, these are my people. This is great. We need something like this in North Carolina. Um, and then I went to James Watley's conference and I, and I remember he first started, it wasn't a large, large number. Like, so, you know, you think if you're a successful conference, you need like 500 to 800 people or something random like that. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to start a conference. And it literally felt like, well, I shouldn't say that cause I don't know, but from <laughs> what I was told, like just being <laughs> pregnant, like I couldn't rest. I was restless every time I was like, nah, I'm not gonna do it. It would just keep coming up. And it was like, I couldn't sleep at night. I would wake up in the middle of the night and write things on the post-it. And then I just, honestly, I'm a woman of faith. So I prayed and I was like, okay, who can help me do this conference? And I'm gonna do it. And if we have 75 people, that's what I'm gonna do. So in 2016, I founded the North Carolina Sexual Health Conference. Well, technically 2015, we held it in 2016. And we had like 125 people, way more than 75. And I was like, yeah, yeah. this is awesome. And then at the end of the conference, I was like, see y'all next year. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't mean, I, I, just, <laughs> oh, yeah. I just needed to do it one time. Um, but then we had it the next year and it grew to like twice as big. And then we didn't have it because I was deep in schoolwork in 2018. And then 2019, we almost reached that 400 mark. And it was dope. And then COVID. <laughs> uh, COVID, the ruiner of all things. Yeah. So I, I'm still working on the conference and I got it as a small business and we do SARS. We do other trainings. Um, I just started a nonprofit from um, optics to action because yes. also things that I've seen, yeah, is that a lot of people in my last work experience was like very much a performative hire around health equity and sexual mm-hmm. health. And it was like, I was slapped on this website immediately, but yet we weren't really doing any work. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people are just doing things for how, you know, the way it looks. So for the optics, mm-hmm. and I want to move people to action, you know, even if like I'm doing, I want to offer trainings, I'm going to offer trainings 
And I know that training isn't the end all be all, but it's an important part of the process. So I'm hoping that people will take my training and then I can support them as they move towards action based on a change in their knowledge, a change in their attitudes, and then that behavior will change in their organizations or the way they approach their work. So that's coming out. Be on the lookout. We're going to, you know, uh, I'm really looking at the South. So North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama. Right now, we'll just see. Uh, Tennessee. I forgot. I got to say Tennessee. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a good catchment area. And then I'm teaching. And so that's really. I love it. Oh, I'm a member of ASEC. I got to plug ASEC too as the vice president <laughs> of membership. So I'm also doing that as a volunteer. Yeah, you do so much. And y'all, the North Carolina Sex Conference is amazing. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll edit that. Um, <laughs> so the, the North Carolina Sex Conference is amazing. I went this past year with Dr. Fazy, who will be on the pod, um, hopefully in the next couple episodes. And we had such a good time. And you, I mean, it's a truly a testament to not only your work, but like the community you've built in North Carolina is so strong. Um, and it was a really beautiful thing to see. Like, you know, I know you as, as this one person, but to see you like in your element doing the conference and just this amazing community that you've built there, like kudos to you because it was, it was awesome. And I felt really um, privileged to be able to attend. Um, you did a great job. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, every time I think about it, like I had the time this year to share on the panel, like how it all got started and what this community mean. And I was like, man, I had a $2,000, thank you, Widener, but also debt, um, a $2,000 <laughs> refund check from school loan. And I was like, this is my seed money for my conference. That's all I had. And I was like, oh God, if I could just play this keynote, if I can just play this keynote speaker that Teddy wants to bark at here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had just enough money in the bank to pay our first keynote speaker or two. And then it was all relying on, you know, registrations. Oh gosh, can y'all hear him crunching too? Yeah, it's amazing. I can hear him. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally hear him crunching. It's great. I love our, I love our animals of being extended to our families of meetings wow. these days because our, our animals are part of our families. They really so are. I yeah. think it's great. I love when people's cats, you know, cats for some reason are like obsessed with the, the heat of the computer or something. And then they I'll always turn around and their buttholes in the camera. And you're like, why? <laughs> oh, look at Teddy. Oh, Teddy. He thinks he can hear and barks yeah. at it. He's very protective. Look <laughs> hold me love me oh for those of you that aren't watching just listening you should come on the video and see this dog it is literally like a little teddy bear dr bass that the thought of like putting on a conference like that and you going from like zero to 100 is just like that's that's like mind-blowing to me that's something that would never even cross my mind because there just seems like so many logistics and like hurdles and the fact that you just like went for it you're like I'm gonna do this like I find that so cool like could never imagine myself doing that it was scary I'm not gonna like if I yeah. said say that it wasn't scary and that it didn't have like a couple of glitches but I feel like I've gone to enough conferences I've been on enough 
I had been on enough conference planning teams and like, you know, parties and events, right? Like mm -hmm. he wanted to make it feel like one thing I, I took away from James's, James, Dr. James Wadley's first conference was like, I felt seen, I felt mm. loved and I had never really gone to a conference where I really felt that way. And so mm -hmm. I wanted my conference to be like, okay, here's a place we can learn, right? And bring people who are in North Carolina, but also external to North Carolina, but feel good while you're learning, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if that, yeah. like, warm and fuzzy mm -hmm. all while learning at the same time. So yeah. certain things, like, budget-wise, I didn't plan well because I was like, well, I just need to buy the things. <laughs> <laughs> we need 3, three o'clock p.m. cookies. <laughs> I mean. Mandatory. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's probably a testament to who you are, not just as a planner and an organizer, but an educator as well. Like, I'm sure your students feel that love and care and visibility in your classes. Thanks. I feel like they do. Like, I, I, I think the first two semesters, I was just trying to, uh, to be honest, I was almost like trying to replicate Miss Page. And I'm like, I'm just not. Miss Page, like, and I, there's so many things going on in the world that I want to talk about. So I switched it up. And then, you know, how as an educator, we want to be like engaging. There were activities because some of our students come right from our high schools here in North Carolina. And the last sex ed they probably had could have been in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And I would give them an activity that we used to do for eighth graders, um, just anatomy, and they'd be like, what's this? And I'm like, well, this is an eighth grade lesson, just so you know, like not to make you feel bad, but like, this is, you know, the level of knowledge that you don't have, or maybe can't remember, because that's how it's set up in, in the system. I remember one semester, I had someone come out to their mom. Mm -hmm. At first, I got a little nervous, because I was just like, your mama better not call me. But like, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they, they were because of the class, they felt more comfortable coming mm. out to their mom and wore, yeah. we took a class picture that year and they wore like a pride shirt um, in, in the class picture, right? It's kind of dope. And then um, I had someone say that they realized that they were asexual after learning about like what asexuality um, was and making space. I had someone disclosed being intersex um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the class. So I don't know, I feel, although my class has enrollment has not exceeded 30, probably at any semester, I think the cap actually is 25. So I don't think I've ever had a full 30, like past the cap of 25, but it's small, it's intimate. And I wish I could have it more times during the semester or during the, you know, during the semester, like multiple classes. Mm -hmm. But I think it works for those who actually take it. And, mm -hmm. and it used to be primarily um, health majors. So the health and physical, the health ed, health and physical ed majors are required to take the course in order mm -hmm. to teach. But everybody else is kind of an elective, even the public health majors. So yeah, so I get mass comm, I get a lot of mass communication majors. Mm. You know, I think what you said about, you know, your class being a point where people um, are taught are being able to come out or you know being able to disclose information is really a testament to what good teaching does right mm -hmm. because 
people, there's so many folks who just don't know that there's a word for how they've been feeling for so long. And you hear kind of this political thing like, oh, people are making people this. No, they felt this way. Now they just have a word for it. And how included do they now feel in a classroom? Because they're like, oh, that's me, you know? And that's such a testament to good teaching and your teaching and all the sex educators, you know, around the world doing this work is people are finding their true selves and and learning about themselves and isn't that what it should be about you know like we're one of six hbcus that has an lgbtq center and Mm. we just had our uh, uh, queer students of color conference last week um i felt like that conference should have been like hundreds of students i know it was in the summer Mm -hmm. but also still but even when um i think about the center we've made strides on our campus but we still have a level of homophobia, transphobia, Mm -hmm. um, all the microaggressions and marginalization that Mm -hmm. queer students feel. And so I feel like my class has been a space where the center has helped students, um, encourage them to learn more about themselves Mm -hmm. or learn more about their fellow students in that way. You know, it's, it's like we're in this partnership uh, together to make our campus a better place. Like I always say, why is it my class full or more people know mm-hmm. about it? Like, I feel like sometimes I have to go out and they were like, well, you need to market your class. That sounds weird. But then I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I will. Yeah. And even in doing that, I could see like my peer colleagues, faculty members being uncomfortable with the fact that there's a sex ed class. I did have another Mm. class, tell me if I'm talking too much, but I started another class because at NC SexCon and prior to, I met um, Bobby Gordon, who used to work at UCLA in the AMP program. And so it was like performative um, arts and theater and dance and poetry, but in sex ed, like, so you would take all those skills and learn those things and teach and then create videos or things that could be used later and i remember i was like i'm gonna do that for a semester because we were cramming it all in like a couple of weeks trying to get our peer educators to learn and so i was like no let's just create a class so the class was entitled maybe it wasn't the best title performing sex ed the folks were like what is this class oh really (laughs) oh it was not well received. <laughs> but it's performing sex and not performing pornography. Or just and even if it should be like sex. Yeah. 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 That, I think that's what they saw is like performing sex. Performing sex. sex. Yeah. How to have sex or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so oh, people need to calm down. Choice of words, but it was exactly what we were doing. Um and it had a listen. But I if you don't have a little controversy, I mean that's how people, you know. Controversy is marketing. Nine students that year, but our videos are slamming. We did some good videos. I bet they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. You had said um, that you had your one, your school is one out of six LGBTQ centers. Um, So part of my ignorance, how much? At an HBCU. Yeah. At HBCU. How many HBCUs are there? Do you know? Part of my ignorance, I don't know. Technically. 107. kind of sort of don't like exist or operate as a college or even as a, mm. a campus. Some of them are like, oh, mm. but 107. Oh, wow. So only six in 107. Yeah. And I the last how, one yeah. just 
So we're fortunate we have three of mm -hmm. the states. Go North, North Carolina. Carolina. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, NCCU, my school was the first. North Carolina A&T, our rival, was the Ooh. second. <laughs> and then um, Fayetteville State University just mm. theirs. Wow, that's interesting. I So here in Miami, we have FIU, Florida International University, which is a um, Hispanic-serving institution. And they, I don't know what's happening with them because there was the DEI center, which housed the women's center, which housed the LGBTQ center, which housed some other initiatives. And I'm, those are no longer allowed because FIU is a, a public school. So I'm curious as to what Harumba. those folks are going to be doing. Um, and then we also hear Miami have Florida Memorial, which is HBCU. I'm not familiar if they have that LGBTQ center or not. Well, no, because it's HBCU said no. Yeah. Do you know of it? Wow. I don't know of it, but I I know that they don't. Yeah. I know there were some things, there was actually some students on the conference last week that were, were talking about things they were trying to do in Florida, but how hard mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And also Texas at Prairie View. Um, mm how they're navigating pop yeah. politics there. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So a, a friend of mine was formerly a, a professor at Barry University, which is a private Catholic university here in Miami. Um, but it's interesting what some of the private colleges are doing to kind of be allies to their public uh, col university That's colleagues awesome. to kind of lift them up, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool because those teachers, you know, those professors are, really like coming down under like you know some punishments so it's been kind of interesting how the higher ed is coming together to support each other down here in yeah the political climate is not making it easy for any of this work mm -hmm. in a lot of states like we had a, a bill around state employees talking about diversity equity inclusion um specifically but the language says it doesn't prevent a consulting agency from talking about it. But then I was so then in my mind, I'm like, well, I'll just start this nonprofit. Y'all hire me. I'll do the talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just don't cut programming and, and funding. Yeah. What is the yeah, this is a really important topic, I think, for our viewers who maybe don't know that like sex ed and health ed is like very different state by state. Like we've talked about Miami, we've talked about New York. What is, like, what would a K-12 to public ed student expect to get health and sex ed wise um, in a public school in North Carolina? Let's say in your district where you live. I was like, ooh, not my district. No, <laughs> I mean, no, my because honestly, my district is the largest. So I, I'm in Wake County, North Carolina. We are the largest school district currently. Um, but we're probably one of the more conservative districts. Like we used to, so I'm saying used to because I don't know what happened this last time. I probably should know, um, but um, we didn't participate in the risk behavioral survey even um, mm -hmm. at one point, which is like, you get the largest school district. That means you would get the largest potential response rates from mm -hmm. some of the other school districts. But in some, I won't name counties, but I'll say, or districts in some districts, they would get like prime time um, health education, at least middle through high school. 
um, because they would have teachers who are well-trained in understanding not only the North Carolina standards, but the national standards who have come to different trainings that we've had, not just NC SETSCON or something like that, but different trainings throughout the state or nationally. And they also have people in their community who are doing like after school or in school um, sexuality education with some of the um, evidence-based curricula or, you know, best practices. So they could easily get a good range of everything beyond what the state requires. But then it could easily be because we have 115 school districts, there's no way for the state to fully monitor who's doing what, even with the standards that we have. So at best, no, that's probably not at best, at worst, someone could easily get a handout of anatomy, turn that in, and could consider themselves done. Mm -hmm. Wild. Right. Right. Or an old school video was that, you know, that Wonder Years clip that people always look at about like the bad, what is bad sex ed? And he's drawing, oh. it looks like a cow, but it's supposed to be like uh, <laughs> the ovaries in the uterus. Oh my God. I've never seen that. <laughs> oh, you must find that. Oh. I always think of the one from um, Mean Girls when he, it's like, yes. <laughs> he's like on the chalkboard. He's like, don't have sex. You will die. You'll get pregnant and die. Die. Those <laughs> like, chlamydia no. wrong. Because <laughs> even when I started doing my dissertation research, like I know me and my colleagues have poured out blood, sweat and tears and trainings to like prepare people for the school year and what to teach and how to teach it. And I know everybody's not comfortable but it's kind of like, meet us halfway, and people will sit there, get their CEs, play Sudoku, and be like, hey, I'm just going to call so-and-such from the health department. So on one end, you'd rather them call so-and-such from the health mm -hmm. department because you know they're going to do it well. But at the same time, it's like, you're not even on, you're not just not even on track. And then you mm -hmm. have more relationship with that student and opportunities continuously with that student, potentially for four years. Mm -hmm. than the person at the health department. Yeah. So it just makes you kind of like sad and frustrated. Do you see like many of your college students going into like sex ed or fields like that related to sexuality? Yes, I've, like that excites me most. Like I've had a couple of students go to Widener after oh. leaving NCCU. They probably should pay me. Um, <laughs> pay her. <laughs> um, I've had, I'll do a shout out to Symmetri. Um, She is the semi-sexual and she has the sexual intellectual t-shirts. And mm -hmm. I remember she took my class. I remember she walked up her to hat. Me. Yeah, she was like, I think I want to sell t-shirts. And I was like, well, why don't you? And let's go for it. And so we talked about different things. Next thing I know, she had launched. And I mean, she's got her swag on celebrities. Like, mm -hmm. I think the last one was Omarion. Um, oh, really? Big deal. Yeah. Had on his, her t-shirt. And I was like, you Okay. Go. Yeah. Iceboxed. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a group Work. at one point like, you know, you don't have favorites. However, um, when I was working in student health and still in public health uh, teaching, well, I was working in student health counseling services and teaching over in public health, I had a group of um, folks who were peer educators. We were doing like a women's health 
reproductive um, training. So I helped write the curriculum and train them on it so they could teach their peers. And at one point, all of them were working in sexual health in some way. And probably wow. three of them still are. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, here's a weird connection. I don't know if I told you about this, Drew, but when I was at uh, your oh, conference yes. this past year, I'm, I was doing a presentation and I'm looking into the crowd. There's maybe like 25, 30 folks in my workshop and there's a person and I'm like, gosh, I recognize that face. I just recognized the face, but I didn't know how. She come up, comes up to me afterwards and I actually had her at a, as a student in New York. And now she yes. is- she working in public health, health. Yeah, yeah and knows you I was like well look at this like it was just so wild she's like I don't know if you remember me I was like no I do <laughs> um so that was pretty cool because you know to be in North Carolina at this sexual health conference and then see a student from New York that actually went into the field was pretty exciting yeah, that made me that like I was like, this is what this is all about. Let's go. Exactly. Exactly. That was so cool. What a cool feeling and knowing that you probably I don't know, maybe the way you taught health had some sort of influence in there or you mm -hmm. made health brought her joy in some way. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, I need to ask. Her, I was like, how did you end up in the public health department? I, mm -hmm. You know, I knew yeah. she wasn't from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, but that was about it. And then when she graduated, she's worked for two of the, like our biggest health departments. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. After, I find it so funny when I run into students, right? And after teaching this long, like you can't remember everyone, like you <laughs> might recognize their face, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. But um, it, it's interesting what they remember about my class, you know? Um, and it's usually something I didn't even expect. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, we don't do that anymore. Because, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, we did little different things in health class. Now I'm like, uh, but um, have you ever had a, <laughs> have had you ever had that experience? I had a meeting with the dean the other day and, well, I think the assistant dean. And she was like, yes, I've heard about you. And I was like, oh God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what have they said? She was like, no, people really have said that they've enjoyed your class. And I was like, because I was like, did they say I showed porn? Because I might have. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's such a big difference from teaching high school to college, right? right. It's like, there's such, a, you know, you're working with adults, so you can show different things. You can talk about different things. Yeah. Usually you don't get emails from parents, although sometimes I, that still happens, but. Well, I, like, I will say, like, I jokingly said I might have showed porn. I, I haven't shown porn, but I've, I've, I've shown explicit clips but more so mm -hmm. things that they can see on their own like on netflix or mm -hmm. listen i'm a p-valley fan and mm -hmm. jl font shout out to little murder if you're listening um you know he went to nccu so a i'm like i'm proud of someone who attended our school at some point and this clip that he was in was really relevant to us talking about sexual identity with mm. him and uncle clifford so i was just like and it's very representative of who our students are so mm -hmm. I used it, but yeah. <laughs> I think in college, that's fine. That's, you know, now if I did that with ninth graders, that'd be yeah, a good story. No, no. I would probably be on the news <laughs> and not have a job. But, <laughs> but although I will say a bard, uh, especially with our, our senior class, Drew and I could do a lot more. 
I mean, we still obviously didn't watch porn. We weren't doing like SARS because they weren't the right age, but we could definitely go deeper into conversations than with the ninth grade. But even with the ninth grade, sometimes I'd be like, well, let's get into it. They want to know they're, they're coming in and they have, they have a great deal of background Mm -hmm. knowledge now. So it is fun to like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're here. Let's, let's go a little further. What do you know? If they're asking the question, it's developmentally appropriate. Exactly. Like, like if they're asking, that means they already know about it. They already saw it on a video. They've already heard people talking about it. So better to like answer the question, what is truthful and factual and not shamey or judgmental than to let them go down the rabbit hole of the internet, which who knows what they'll learn. Yeah. I feel like, like- I think Drew, when we had our class, um, our instructor at Wider was like, what was the rule? It was like, my values are my values, your values are your values, mine don't make me right, yours don't make me wrong, they're different, and that's it. And I was like, stealing, kuching, I made a little sign, put it on my syllabus, mm-hmm. it's on my slides in the first class, because I'm like, there's going to be some stuff in here, y'all going to be like, oh, heck no, and that's okay, but somebody in here is like, oh, heck yes, mm-hmm. and we just have to be okay with it. So mm-hmm. I really try to instill in them that everybody experiences pleasure and their sexuality in different ways and it's okay dr hj yeah shout out (laughs) 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 i loved her so much like thank god that was my first class at widener she just made us all feel so good and she was such a ball of energy and light and so smart Oh I would have said, I would not have continued because I literally only signed up for one class because I was like, I'm just going to see how it is. And if these folks aren't for me, I'm out of here. Yeah. And then I regretted not signing up for two classes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Widener was tough. It was tough. It was. But I feel like the overall, like, like all of us came into it with a degree in life experience. Mm-hmm. I feel that that helped navigate tough conversations, mm-hmm. tough topics. Cause I'm gonna let you know, sometimes in the beginning, Drew, I think you weren't, you, I don't think you ever sat that close to me. I think we were always kind of like an eye shot of each other. I was over there chomping the heck out of ice. A, I was anemic, but B, it was my coping mechanism. Cause I was like, I'm uncomfortable. Like I'm like, I know that I'm comfortable talking, but that's what I love about now facilitating SARS. Cause like one of the statements that somebody said in one of my SARS was that we think we know sex, but we don't know sex. Like we're talking about sex, mm-hmm. sex ed and all the things and telling people to be inclusive and blah, blah, blah. But then when we're actually watching videos or hearing people tell their stories or do demonstrations, we're not as comfortable as we think and now mm-hmm. we have to figure out like the why and i remember chomping down on that ice trying to get my life together i know bridget was like girl that ice i can't keep it. <laughs> and it was like a thing to you know the rattling so sometimes yeah. i'd be like rattling the cup trying to cope like okay why do i oh have my this level of discomfort forgot about those oh my god <laughs> we're sitting watching stuff with folks and then looking around like everybody okay yeah I remember just being very intimidated by the culture of the classroom I felt like it was like my my own insecurities about like my intelligence like being able to do grad school work and like so many smart people I was very quiet 
during those conversations. And I, I don't know, I would love to go back and kind of see what we were actually talking about and like think about what I would say now, but I was like very shut down. I was uncomfortable as well. But you were creative because I feel like one activity, me and you were on the same team. It was something random. Like we, we were doing like a search or something in the book. I don't even know. I don't even know if you remember that, but it was like <laughs> we had we were assigned certain chapters and we had to like basically summarize the chapters. And you, I think you were creative mm. uh, in that way. Yeah, that's why I feel like I could pick up on your energy of being like a good teacher, because that's the other thing, too, in this work, in my opinion. Some people are just really born to do this. Some people can learn how, but like your personality, your energy level, your ability yeah to connect with other people really makes a difference in being mm-hmm. an effective sexuality educator. Like you can't be Period. all, t- you can't really be timid. You can't really be too serious about yourself and life, like, or mm-hmm. like things. Um, but also you just, I don't know, you just have, it's a thing. I, I Maybe one day I'll find a word to describe it, mm-hmm. but it's like almost like how folks are actors or comedians like mm-hmm. they have that it factor and mm-hmm. some people just don't have it bless, yeah. their, bless their hearts from the southern <laughs> yes a thousand percent people are either like just dry and you're like oh i'm gonna fall asleep or they're so serious that you're like okay but i don't want to leave every day crying like this is we're going oh, there has to be this balance of like silliness because you know what sometimes talking about a penis is funny yeah you know sometimes you're talking about a butthole and you're like well here it is you know like it and it's okay like it's we we don't have to be so serious we doesn't mean we're bad people if we're like (laughs) clitoris you know what I mean (laughs) you know it's just and that's okay but people I think sometimes get in their heads about every word must be perfect and everything and then it just becomes this like mm-hmm. drain speaking of every word so how did you just pronounce that word i know clitoris or clitoris what is pecan the way pecan right like yes i feel like Pe- the southern in me is like clitoris because i teach them both what is the correct yeah. term i teach them both too dr elizabeth schroeder would have my head for this because she says clitoris and she says clitoris sounds like a cleaning detergent um but yeah i would always teach my kids the same the same as well I, yeah i say you know you say pronunciation you know say i'm not again. say it again because well, I, I don't i can't even remember how to say it there's either clitoris that's or me. clitoris clitoris i'm gonna start saying clitoris i think it's it, oh. it like taurus the the, the zodiac sign. taurus season <laughs> taurus twins <laughs> what i usually do when when i was teaching anatomy and i would say all the words say this is a scrotum you may have heard it called a nut sack the testes I the balls Ball i would sack. say all the words yeah we used to <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like saying the gooch because everybody, everybody more people know the gooch than they do the perineum so right. I'm like oh that's what it is yes it is. nobody <laughs> knows what that is nobody knows it's uh, on a commercial too I don't let's know. teach folks it's on a <clears throat> drug and no offense if you're using this drug or anything but like one mm. of the side effects is tear in the perineum and I'm like oh. Nobody knows oh, what no. you're talking about. And I'm like, because no one wants yeah. a tear in a perineum. No. 
if they knew exactly what that was, they'd be like, yeah, I'm a pass. Is there another drug? <laughs> yeah. Can I have the one that has heart failure instead, please? Because that oh should... Don't mess with my perineum. <laughs> okay, can we teach the people listening what a perineum is? Because I think there's some people listening right now like, what the hell are they talking about? So, uh, Dr. Best, do you want to tell our listeners what that is? Well, I just call it the place in between. Like, so it's mm. in between your anus and either your testicles or your vaginal opening, mm-hmm. aka the gooch. <laughs> the what? Taint. Oh, the taint. Did hear that? True. Oh, you're right, Drew. <laughs> taint I've never gooch. Heard, yeah, taint, heard either of those. Yeah. I only know about it. I learned what a perineum was because my mom would talk about it because she had to have stitches when she oh. gave birth. So my mom would always, my mom would talk about all these kind of things and she'd be like, then it's called this and you had tears. And I was always like, I can't have kids. I don't want any of my body tearing. Yeah. And I was dying to know because I needed y'all to know the name of the drug is Jardian. Jardians. What is it for? Guardian. Jardians is, I think, uh, urine incontinence or no, it's a, it's a diabetes. It's a diabetes medication. Hmm. Okay. Well, don't come for us. Don't come for us. Don't, for us. No don't come for us. Sorry. <laughs> fix, fix your side effects. Don't come for us. <laughs> or just tell people what it is. Or maybe one of your lead competitors of diabetes medicine wants to sponsor us. That doesn't cause perennium <laughs> rippage. Exactly. We're not in to rippage. Rippage. <laughs> That's oh so fast. I'm like, That's how did wild. I even hear perineum? But I did. <laughs> okay, so you say perineum. I say perineum. I'm probably saying it wrong. Oh, no. I, I say both as well. I, I don't we know. We need to get Dr. Fazi in here to see how perineum. she pronounces it, too. I think it's um, That's not fair. Because she's going to say it there. She's going to say it the, the fancy way. Yeah. She, she's British, everyone. She'll be on the show uh, <laughs> soon. But um, yeah. Uh, You'll say it and sit some tea. right she's fancy well uh we're almost we're basically out of time for today but dr bass as always it's such a pleasure to see your face and to chat with you all things sex ed we're so honored that you came on today do you want to um give everyone uh your info how to follow you on socials i'm on threads and instagram at dr tanya and bass I'll be leaving Twitter probably this week. Um, so don't worry about that. And yeah, just follow me on Instagram and my website is tanyambass.com. So slide into my IG DMs. It's been a pleasure being with you all today. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully y'all learned something and maybe uh, are interested in learning more. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much, Dr. Bass. This was this was awesome. I'm leaving feeling smarter and happier. <laughs> yes. All right. Bye, everyone. Peace. Follow us on Spotify, podcasts on Apple, or our YouTube channel, Sex Ed in the City. Stay connected. We hope to see you soon.